It's 6 p.m. and you are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. It's the 1st of March. I'm Kelly Reese. This is your KVMR Friday Evening News Magazine. We start out tonight with what's top of everyone's mind, this weekend winter storm. Keep it tuned to hear the latest from the National Weather Service. Then, elections are fast approaching, so KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza sits down with Ariel Lovett, the Chair of Voter Services for the League of Women Voters of Nevada County. They discuss everything you need to know as a Nevada County voter. And the U.S. Federal Reserve is making news, specifically what the Fed plans to do about interest rates now we've moved into March. To tackle this question in today's economic report, KVMR's Paul Emery reached out to someone who just might know a thing or two about America's central banking system, former Federal Reserve economist Gary Zimmerman. And sure, we're currently being pummeled with precipitation, but California's Mediterranean climate means the state doesn't see much rain throughout the summer. What does this mean for its crucial wetland habitat? KVMR science correspondent Al Stoller poses this question to ecologist Jim Steele in the latest edition of Al Explores. And stick around for the Friday News Magazine's finale with an essay by Molly Fisk. In this week's visit, Molly denounces a common Nevada County practice. There's nothing that quite gets people's blood boiling like you questioning their beloved canine companion. That's all coming up. Your Friday News Magazine starts now. Let's take a look at your weekend weather forecast from the National Weather Service. The northeast foothills, Sacramento Valley, and west slope of the northern Sierra Nevada, including the cities of Paradise, Grass Valley, Jackson, Chester, Quincy, and Blue Canyon, are all under a blizzard warning which remains in effect until 10 a.m. on Sunday. This blizzard warning means extremely dangerous to impossible travel with extended road closures likely. Expect total snow accumulations of 5 to 10 feet above 5,000 feet elevation and 1 to 4 feet above 3,000 feet elevation through Sunday morning. We may see intense snow rates of 2 to 4 inches per hour at times, especially through Saturday when snowfall is heaviest. Those below 2,000 feet will see minor snow accumulations. Winds will gust around 75 miles per hour and potentially higher. These very strong winds combined with heavy snow could cause extensive tree damage and extended power outages. Widespread snow will create whiteout conditions and near zero visibility. Travel should be restricted to emergencies only. If you must travel, have a winter survival kit with you, and if you get stranded, stay in your vehicle. Call 511 for the latest road conditions. For those in Nevada City and Grass Valley, tonight rain showers before 1 a.m., then that rain mixes with snow and some thunder. We'll have a low around 31 degrees. Saturday, snow showers with a high near 38. Snow showers continue into Saturday night with a low around 31 degrees. Sunday, snow showers likely before 1 p.m. It'll be mostly cloudy with a high near 40. Sunday night will be mostly cloudy with a low around 32 degrees. For Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight, snow with a low around 16 degrees, new snow accumulation of 22 to 28 inches possible. Saturday, snow with a high near 26, new snow accumulation of 10 to 16 inches. Saturday night sees more snow with the addition of 7 to 11 inches, expect a low around 16 degrees. Sunday, snow throughout the day until 4 p.m. It'll be mostly cloudy with a high near 28. Sunday night brings scattered snow showers and a low around 18 degrees. 
the U.S. Forest Service Sierra Avalanche Center has issued a backcountry avalanche warning for the Reno-Lake Tahoe area through Sunday. For Sacramento and the surrounding valley, tonight, showers and possibly a thunderstorm before 2 a.m. with a low around 43 degrees. Saturday, a chance of showers and thunderstorms after 11 a.m. with a high near 51. Saturday night will be mostly cloudy with a low around 40 degrees. Sunday, a 40% chance of showers. It'll be partly sunny with a high near 55. Sunday night will be mostly cloudy with a low around 41 degrees. And for Placerville and Angels Camp, tonight, showers and possibly a thunderstorm with a low around 38 degrees. Saturday, showers with possible thunderstorms and a high near 44. Saturday night, sees showers and a low around 37 degrees. Sunday, showers likely mainly before 11 a.m., It'll be mostly cloudy with a high near 47. Sunday night will be mostly cloudy with a low around 35 degrees. You're listening to the Friday Evening News Magazine on KVMR. Elections are fast approaching. Up ahead... KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza sits down with Ariel Lovett, the Chair of Voter Services for the League of Women Voters of Nevada County. Keep listening to hear the two discuss everything you need to know as a Nevada County voter. The California presidential primary is just around the corner, and joining me now is Ariel Lovett. She's Chair of Voter Services for the League of Women Voters of Nevada County. Ariel, thanks for joining me. Thanks so much for having me. So, Ariel, before we get started, let's begin with the League of Women Voters itself. What is the League? So the League of Women Voters is a nonpartisan, importantly, grassroots nonprofit member organization. And, you know, really our core mission is to support an engaged and educated electorate. I mean, that's really what it's about. So we neither support nor oppose any political party or candidate for public office. We're really dedicated to encouraging that informed and active participation in government. And there are active leagues in all 50 states and more than 750 local leagues in counties and cities. Um, I appreciate the question because I think another misconception that is understandable because it's in our name (laughs) is that it's, you know, just for women. But that really just speaks to the founding. The League was founded in 1920, which was six months before the 19th Amendment was ratified. Um, which, of course, gave women the right to vote. And the intent was to help inform women on public policy to assist them in carrying out this new responsibility and, you know, quickly became an expanded scope, recognizing that um, that service is needed for everyone. You know, this this being able to share information that's nonpartisan, that helps people understand um, how to vote and by how to vote, You know, we just like the mechanics, like, how can I make sure I'm registered? Where do I get the information? How do I sort out sometimes what can be complex questions um, in voting? And so that's really what we're about. And so the league obviously serves people of all genders. um, And also our leadership um, includes people of all genders as well. So it really just speaks to the, the origins of the of the League of Women Voters and our mission. I definitely want to talk about the mechanics, how to vote, specifically here in Nevada County. Let's talk about what's on the ballot. Yeah. So if you live in county in Nevada County in districts one, two, or five, you can vote for a board of supervisor candidate. Um, note that Hardy Bullock runs unopposed in district five, but in the other two districts, one and two, um, there are a number of candidates and you can 
go online to find out which district you live in. I'll share a bunch of resources uh, separately, but really just encourage people to go on Google League of Women Voters of Nevada County um, to find these resources, but also the Nevada County Elections Office, awesome, easy website, also really easy just to call them. They're super helpful and super available. So anyway, find out what district you live in if you don't. Um, we also, the League of Women Voters, put on forums that gave the opportunity for candidates to share their perspectives, um, and those are available for replay thanks to Nevada County Media, who's an awesome partner. But um, you- They're also on our website. There's a page dedicated on our website where we have uploaded audio of all three of those candidate forums. Great. So also on KVMR, you can listen to them, find them on our League of Women Voters website if you want to watch those replays to learn more about those. So that's um, Nevada County Districts 1, 2, or 5. If you are in Nevada City, you can vote on Measure C, as well as three uncontested city council positions. Um, Then Grass Valley residents can vote on Measure B. There's also Twin Ridges School District residents can vote on Measure A. There's information, again, on all of these on those websites I shared earlier. All California residents can vote on Prop 1, and if they want to see a nonpartisan pro and con video explaining um, that's put together by the League of Women Voters, find that on our website or Google it. But the California League put together a pro and con, a balanced pro and con on that. And then all California residents can vote in their um, state assembly race. And again, as I mentioned, we did a candidate forum on that as well. And that's on on our website, too. And then as well, all California residents can vote in the U.S. Senate race. Um, And this is a little confusing, appears on the ballot twice. The first vote is for the remainder of Dianne Feinstein's term. And the second vote is for the complete six-year Senate term. Um, And on our website, again, there's a video replay of the second televised debate among those candidates. Ariel, Nevada County is a vote-by-mail county, so everybody who's registered to vote should have gotten their ballot by now. If they're not, is it too late? I know the 20th was the last date to go online and register. Does that mean the door is closed for those that are not registered? Um, It is not too late to register to vote. You can register in person at in-person voting centers and take care of it there. So there's actually no deadline. And technically, you can register to vote up until March 5th in person. And for those that did receive their ballots, they can vote early, right? Yes, because you can vote early in person or you can vote in if you're imagining early by dropping off your ballot. Of course, you can put it in the mail and you want to make sure there's time for it to be received. Um, but you also, gosh, and I had a list. There are so many. Um, I have it here. I won't read them all out to you. But there are um, many, many Dropbox locations, Briar Patch, Chicago Parts Store, Gold Miners Inn, Grocery Outlet. I mean, all over in Nevada City in, at the Eric Rood Center in North San Juan at Sweetland Garden Mercantile, Penn Valley Holiday Market, South County at Holiday Market, and several places in Truckee, including Grocery Outlet, Truckee Town Hall, and Save Mart. So, so these are drop boxes. Those are the drop boxes if you want to vote early with your, if you have your, you know, you received your ballot in the mail, you want to drop it off. Um, and then there are vote centers actually open right now. There are multiple um, in-person voting centers and a lot of resources available at those um, countywide. Those are open 8 to 5 until Election Day when they expand to 7 a.m. to 8 p.m. And at these centers, voters can vote in person. They can drop off a ballot, get a replacement ballot, use accessible voting machines, get assistance in multiple languages, and also register to vote or update their registration. 
Now, Ariel, you're with the League of Women Voters, which, as we established, is all about education. Let's talk about resources. What are some of the resources available to people who want to learn more either about a ballot, a candidate, et cetera? Yeah, great question, because it can be a lot. So some resources that we suggest people start with are the Nevada County Elections Department. You know, a lot of links to, again, the mechanics um, of how to vote uh, and also where to find information. Our site, the League of Women Voters of Nevada County. So and I encourage people to really put in of Nevada County in their Google bar because otherwise they'll get a state one and it's a little different. But our team has done a great job, I think, in sharing that information in a way that is easy for people to find next step information, whatever they're looking for. Um, one of those links that it will link to that folks could go straight to is Vote 411. And that's easy to remember. And then Vote 411 will walk you through putting in your address so you can get really personalized information in terms of the races or opportunities that you have to vote. And then CalMatters Voters Guide is another great resource, as well as Ballotpedia. So those are really the five. But I would say, you know, going to the League of Women Voters of Nevada County can link you to a lot of those other ones. All nonpartisan, all vetted information. Right. My guest today has been Ariel Lovett. She's the chair of Voter Services for the League of Women Voters of Nevada County. Ariel, thanks so much for your time. Thank you so much. It's the 1st of March, and many are turning their attention to what the new month means in terms of U.S. Federal Reserve decisions. Lucky for us, KVMR's Paul Emery reached out to someone who just might know a thing or two about America's central banking system. Former Federal Reserve economist Gary Zimmerman drops by to try and solve this riddle. Let's talk about the Federal Reserve. It's still making news. And what is the Fed going to do with interest rates in March? Well, Paul, that's a loaded question. The financial markets have been waiting for the Fed to lower interest rates or or at least for the Fed monetary policymakers to start providing some forward guidance that indicates the Fed is moving towards changing their current monetary policy or interest rate stance from their high five and a quarter to five and a half percent short term interest rate target um, and begin lowering that target to support you know, future economic growth. Um, you know, and when the financial markets perceive a signal of, of a policy change, we you know, typically see movements in bond yields and stock prices and so forth. And for a while now, the financial markets have wanted to see the Fed start lowering their overnight interest rate target um, from the high range and um, where the Fed has held it for most of 2023 and now in 2024, um, as the Fed was using higher interest rates to slow the economy, to lower the inflation rate after it spiked in 2021 and 2022, when the Fed was using very low interest rates to support economic growth during the COVID pandemic. Okay, Gary, but what might it take to convince the Fed to actually begin to lower interest rates? A uh, former Fed policymaker, um, Federal Reserve Bank of Kansas City President Thomas Honig, was quoted last week suggesting that if the economy keeps expanding like it has been, then we shouldn't expect three rate cuts in 2024, but maybe only one or two. Um, So, you know, and recently a few others have suggested that the next Fed interest rate move may be to raise the Fed's overnight uh, interest rate target because of, uh, you know, recent higher numbers for inflation. So, um, you know, either of those monetary policy options are not what most of us were expecting to hear 
about in early 2024, given the generally slowing inflation and the stronger uh, economic conditions that we experienced in most of 2023, or certainly the last half of 2023. Isn't the inflation rate still too high for most of the Fed's policymakers? Yes, Paul, the inflation rate remains above the Fed's 2% goal by most indicators, and uh, most of the economic indicators are also continuing to show that the economy is expanding at an above-average growth rate. Uh, yet I, I don't think the Fed is likely to raise interest rates yet, and that's so that's what uh, I would expect to happen if um, you had some big shock to the economy, maybe a, a sharp upturn in both inflation and, and growth in the next quarters. But that doesn't happen. I don't see them raising rates again at this point. Well, Gary, the recent Fed Beige Book Survey results suggested that the economy is continuing to grow despite the Fed's relatively high short-term interest rate target. Are there any recent Fed forecasts or estimates that give us a sense of how fast the U.S. economy is likely to grow in the first quarter of this year? Paul, I've been looking at the forecast tools available from the Federal Reserve Bank of New York and the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta, and, and both of those continue to show the economy expanding at a strong pace in the first quarter of 2024. And both both of those estimates, by the way, are available to the public on, on the bank, Reserve Bank's uh, websites. And so you know, folks can go out there and check out to see what they are looking at and, and projecting. Um, the Federal Reserve Bank of New York's uh, staff now cast um, estimate this week estimates that first quarter real gross domestic product uh, growth rate will be about 2.8% at an annual rate um, based on the most recent uh, available or published data. Um, and the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta's GDP now forecast is estimating an even slightly higher real GDP growth rate um, than the New York Fed. They're looking at about a 3.2% annual growth rate for the first quarter of 2024. Um, you know, both both of those, by the way, are you know well above the private sector blue chip consensus forecast that's based on about 50 different forecasts. Uh, the blue chip consensus for the first quarter, you know, still has growth growing at about an average rate, a little under 2%, and, and very similar to the Fed's projected longer term or longer run average growth rate for the U.S. economy. So, you know, all of those uh, three, you know, are showing, you know, continued economic growth. And, the, you know, the two Federal Reserve banks are showing you know, pretty strong economic growth relative to, to normal. So, you know, that is something that they will be looking at along with the inflation numbers when they make these decisions. Okay, Gary, lots of news for today, and I look forward to chatting with you in a couple of weeks. Sounds good, Paul. Thank you very much. You bet. Gary Zimmerman is a retired senior economist for the Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco and is currently a visiting professor at the Vienna University of Economics and Business in Austria. He teaches courses in economics and finance. You can listen to an extended version of the Economic Report with Gary Zimmerman online at kvmr.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Many of us have a pretty good idea what happens when you deprive a human of water. But what about when you take water away from California's wetlands? KVMR science correspondent Al Stoller poses this question to ecologist Jim Steele. That's coming up next on the latest segment of Al Explores. Suppose you were to completely stop eating. 
you could likely survive for a good three weeks, maybe more. Suppose, though, you were to completely cut your intake of water. Without water, you could survive not three or more weeks, but maybe three days. When astrobiologists survey other planets as possible abodes for life, the first thing they look for is water. Water is the magic molecule. On the molecular level, our bodies are complex jigsaw puzzles, and it's water that molds and sculpts our molecules into their correct shapes so they fit just right. Without water, the puzzle pieces fall apart. In California's Mediterranean climate, where summers rarely see rain, the critical role of water stands out sharply. Wetlands are landscapes where water remains in the soil longer than it does elsewhere. A wetland may be close to a stream, close to a snowfield. It may simply be a low point in the landscape. Many different plants and animals make wetlands their home. But California has lost, continues to lose, most of its wetlands. I spoke with Jim Steele. My name's Jim Steele. I'm an ecologist. I was San Francisco State University's director of the Sierra Nevada field campus for 25 years. For 20 years, I did bird research where we were monitoring changes in bird life in six different wet meadows, one of those being Perazzo Meadows. California, the estimate is we've lost about 90% of our wetlands. We've lost it for several different reasons. One is you want to convert things for agriculture or grazing. People build on floodplains all the time because it's quick access to water and it's flat. They often pay when a flood comes because of floodplain. The reason it's there is because it floods every so often. When you have a wet meadow, you create a lot of shrubbery, good for birds, but you also have a mosaic of open areas. Places a little higher might be a little drier and better for seed-eating birds, but the more wet places are good for insect eaters. Wet meadows tend to be an area that are very attractive to a large number of species. We're trying to preserve those wetlands or bring some of them back better than we have now that we understand what's going on better. And those have got to be important in a climate with a dry summer. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's what's going to get you longer into the warm season. These Mediterranean climates where you get no rain in the summer, where are you going to get your moisture from? How can you tell that, that the meadow is coming back? Primarily by looking at where the willows are. Carmen Valley, we had fairly lush meadows. They had tried to fix Carmen Valley with check dams. And then we had some heavy rains. Some of those check dams broke out and the water table dropped again. And when that happened, the willows started to die. And you, you could also walk these meadows and see old dried up stumps of where willows used to be. When a meadow loses its willows, it also loses birds dependent on willows, like the willow flycatcher. The U.S. Breeding Bird Survey is based all by ear, and probably much of the bird population dynamics are done by these breeding bird surveys where you go out, you have a 25-mile route, and every half mile you get out and you listen for three minutes what's around you. If you were birding with your binoculars, you might pick up three species in those three minutes. If you're birding by ear, you could pick up 20. The sound is really a critical way on how we've been monitoring bird populations. Give me a quick description, if you would, of how you work with a mist net. A mist net, the birds don't see it. So they fly into it, 
and then they can't fly out. Why can't they see it? It's just thin. A number of times I'll catch two males at the same time because they're fighting and they were love struck over whoever they were fighting over and they just aren't paying attention to the net. It's basically relatively invisible. It was used for people that were uh, trying to eat birds. It allowed you to, to hold the birds in hand and measure it, weigh it, and, and look at its plumage and determine how old it is. You take them out and then you put a bird band on it with its own unique number so you can track it from year to year. So you can get estimates of survivorship. So you're capturing the same individual birds year after year. Some of them. Some of them die. Probably some of our records were survivals of 11 to 13 years. Jim's wetland studies have helped spark projects to restore wetlands in the Sierra. You might have heard on KVMR News recently that the Tahoe National Forest has acquired several high country meadows in order to preserve them. Speaking with Jim Steele for KVMR, I'm Al Stoller. And now, Molly Fisk. Molly Fisk, Observations from a Working Poet. I want to give a silent shout-out one more time for eavesdropping. Because I live alone and largely work alone, I have to spend some time every day around other humans. I do this first thing in the morning at coffee shops. We're all responsible for our own lives, making some money, taking care of family perhaps, doing a few good deeds, contributing to our communities however that looks, and not going crazy. I can last three days without seeing anyone else in person, and then the mental health meter begins to plummet. I've learned that an hour in a cafe to start my days works wonders, and it's more than the coffee. It gets me dressed, for one thing. It gets me closer to the grocery store, and I'm always about to run out of cat food, milk, or Dave's 21-grain killer bread. And it exposes me to interesting minds. Right now, there's a lively conversation among two men and the barista about mushroom season being almost over and the wealth of black trumpets to be found in Mendocino County. The word mycologist is bandied about, something I haven't heard since college, because my boyfriend was one, a mushroom biologist. If you believe what you hear, PhDs have been flying in to look at the variety of new species popping up this year, because we've had such good long soaking winter rains. I'm not a great one for trendy abbreviations, and I notice all three of these guys are saying Mendo. If anyone starts in on SoCal, I will have to leave, but it may be too hot down there at the southern end of the Golden State to support mushrooms. There is also a fluffy white 100-pound American Eskimo dog in the cafe, keeping track of the conversation. His tail curls into a big flag, and it's at the perfect height to sweep coffee cups right off every table. I just saved mine from this fate. And here we come to a moral dilemma. This is a beautiful big dog, and he comes over to me to have his head scratched, which makes me happy. Yet I am fully opposed to the way so many people bring their dogs into cafes, which is illegal. I don't mind dogs parked with their humans at outdoor tables. I don't mind meeting dogs in hardware stores or lumber yards. I don't have a dog, but I like them. However, dogs close to food service doesn't work for me. Some people are allergic to dogs or afraid of them. 
Dogs have been known to pee on floors. I have watched over and over customers bring dogs into restaurants. The staff ask them not to, and the customers refuse to leave. Often they say their dog is a service dog, which it is not. Service dogs are professionally trained and act very differently. Where does the righteousness and entitlement I keep seeing stem from? Are people so attached to their dogs, it's like telling them a friend isn't welcome? Do dog owners feel exempt from health regulations? Do they not believe in allergic reactions? I'm mystified. Is it only in California? Only in the U.S.? Or just our little rebellious county? And also, why does it bug me so much? Am I supposed to be keeping the world safe from rule-breaking dog-owning cafe customers? These people probably don't use their turn signals either. Award-winning poet Molly Fisk writes, coaches, and teaches writing in California's Sierra Nevada foothills. You can reach her at mollyfisk.com. This program is produced at the studios of KVMR-FM, Nevada City, California, with support from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. That's our newscast for this Friday, March 1st. KVMR gets support from generous listeners like you and The Hot Tub Store by Sierra Timberline. Newly expanded showroom continuing to offer energy-efficient, therapeutic hot tubs for Foothills lifestyle. Open seven days a week in the Home Center, 342 Idaho, Maryland Road, Grass Valley. SierraTimberline.com Support for KVMR's Future of Radio Project comes from AJA Video Systems, empowering the next generation of local journalists and broadcasters. The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendonca. Thanks for tuning in to your Friday News Magazine. I'm Kelly Reese, signing off. Stay safe out there.